Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Quick question, not just for our super producers, Casey Pegram, and our super producer, Max Williams, but a question for all our fellow Ridiculous Historians. What's the weirdest thing you've done to avoid interacting with people? Hi, I'm Ben, and I got to tell you, Noel, I've, I've gone to some cartoonish lengths. The greatest lengths to avoid social interaction, you say? Yeah. How weird have you gotten with it? Well, Ben, uh, and it's me, Noel, by the way. Well, uh, you know, the pandemic, I think, probably put us all in that boat uh, in, in many ways. And it really just involved not leaving the house. Uh, I was just saying to, to you and super producer Max Williams off air how I've started kind of uh, easing my way back to going into the office a couple of days a week to record. And it has done wonders for my mental state. I'm a people person, Ben. I don't. I, I like. I like being around people. I don't typically avoid uh, social interactions if if I can help it. How about you? Yeah, I had a great time during uh, the pandemic because I was going to the office. I loved it when no one else was there. And now, uh, you know, my fortress of solitude is gone. Shout out to any uh, DC fans who get that reference. And it's it can be kind of it can be kind of disappointing, you know. I mention this often on uh, another show, stuff they don't want you to know. But one thing that always baffles me about the human species is how quickly things become normal. Uh, maybe the weirdest thing I did because alone time, and hopefully I'm not alone in this. Alone time is incredibly important to me. I think it's a resource that modern society often 
sort of avoids or attempts to disincentivize, we're taught now that we have to always be available, that one must always be plugged in, or that you always have to be somehow online, somehow yep. participating in society. And that's simply not the case. It's it's a really weird thing to do. And that's why I have the back of the fifth Duke of Portland, William John Cavendish dash Scott dash Bentick. Such a dukely name. I, I got to say, Ben, we're going to refer to him occasionally in shorthand as the Underground Duke, which also sounds like it could be the name of a really cool, like, new wave or possibly early 90s, uh, you know, EDM type band. But I, I got to just double back with you really quickly, Ben. I think this expectation that society has of always being on and quote unquote participating in all of this stuff, it's not even participatory. It's really just kind of a weird, invisible leash that we're all expected to wear and, like, be, you know, sub objected to. Most of it's not even functional or useful. It's really just this kind of like, um, you know, uh, burden, this albatross for a lot of us. And you're right, Ben, the underground Duke um, personifies this. We need to take a lesson from the fifth Duke of Portland. <laughs> I'm going to give it my best. John, Cavendish, Scott, Bentink. Bentink? What a great name. Uh, yeah, I, I, I went with Bentink, but okay. uh, because all the male children in his family were named William uh, this guy was usually called John. And, and throughout the episode, we're probably going to call him a bunch of different things. But yeah, mm -hmm. the, those close to him would would call him John. And um, he uh, he essentially it, it never wanted any of this. Um, he never wanted to be a, a public figure. He never wanted to be in, in politics or in the ruling class. He literally did not want to be a duke. He didn't. No, not at all. In fact, it was supposed to go the honor, I guess, or the the, the what do you call that? The the position uh, was supposed to go to his older brother who died, unfortunately, very young. And then their father, who was the fourth Duke of Portland, also died in 1854. And that's when William John um, became this unlikely and, uh, you know, reluctant Duke. A couple of great sources we dug into for this episode, an Atlas of Obscure article, The Duke Who Loved Tunnels So Much He Was Immortalized as a Literary Badger. Mm -hmm. uh, vintage News, Goran Blaisky, the eccentric Duke who adored misanthropy. I am not going to finish the uh, headline because it has some spoilers. Uh, shout out as well to Nottinghamshire History. Uh, this comes from the Portland Peerage Romance by Charles J. Archard, uh, 1907. Right. We've also got Elizabeth London writing for History Things in an article entitled History's Nutcases, The Prince of Silence. Also a pretty epically cool nickname. Then we have one from OMGFacts.com, How an Introverted Duke Pimped Out His House to Avoid Humans. So why don't we get into the early days of William John Cavendish, Scott Bentink. So there were a few things the Duke did like, though. Right. We said he didn't want to be Duke. He kind of uh, due to the tricky laws of what's called primogeniture, his life didn't go the way he had planned. He didn't even really like talking to people, but he did like some things. He liked watching horse races. He liked gardening mm -hmm. and he was super into digging tunnels, like cartoonishly <laughs> a million percent into digging tunnels around his huge compounds, you know, or calling an estate if you want to be classy about it. His seat, uh, if you will, right? Sure. Yes. Yeah. The seat uh, of his land. 
He was located in an area of the Midlands, which is called the Dukeries. Of course it is. Yeah. And we'll get into his life in depth. You know, spoiler alert. I guess we should say the spoiler alert, Noel. Uh, This guy was so done with social expectations that he, like, he went, he literally went underground Mm -hmm. to avoid having to hang with people. He did. I think I threw a little too early to his uh, his youth, but a lot of the, the things that um, led to his eccentricities and these badger-like uh, labyrinthine tunnels that he dug, I think, happened uh, in his youth, in his early days. He was uh, he was jilted by uh, the love of his life, at least in his mind. Uh, the love of his life didn't seem like she uh, reciprocated those feelings. But uh, he was, in fact, born William John Cavendish Scott Bentinck on September seventeenth, eighteen hundred, in London. His mother was Henrietta Scott, and his father was uh, was senior, William Bentinck. He was the fourth Duke of Portland, as we mentioned, and was uh, very much entrenched in politics, uh, something that the young William would look at as being pretty dull and not up his street at all. The protagonist of our story, we'll call him the young William or uh, the underground Duke, um, was the second of nine children. He received his baptism at St. George's Church in Hanover Square on September 30th and uh, received a very high-level education at home with the best that that money could buy, the best uh, tutelage that money could buy. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, you know, at this time, being from the noble class gets, gets you ahead of the game, right, in the military. And he... He starts off as an ensign in the foot guards. He eventually becomes a captain just three years later of the 7th Light Dragoon Guards. He didn't like the military. There are several reports that euphemistically uh, you, euphemistically say he's not cut out for it, that he has, quote, lethargy, and that his health is, quote, delicate. Which means that this guy was maybe more of an indoors cat. Right. It's almost in like the a opinion of the military. It's almost like a diplomatic way of saying he was lazy and weak. Right. In 1824, one of his elder brothers, also named William, uh, unfortunately passes away. So this is what we're alluding to at the top. John gets his elder brother's position. He becomes the Marquess of Titchfield. And then he takes up, you know, everything that that entails, including becoming a a Tory MP uh, in Kings Lynn. And Kings Lynn, L-Y-N-N, is actually one of their traditional family seats. So he's there for just like about two years and he doesn't talk much. He doesn't like he, he doesn't like doing politics either. So he doesn't talk very much. He's never super active. Uh, and then he's he's around 26 when he says to one of his uncles, here, I just, I just can't. I don't feel like doing it. Can you be the Tory MP here? And his uncle, his uncle gladly agrees. And now, now, lest we seem that we're painting Will as a you know, a wilting lily of some sort, uh, we should note that he was an outdoorsman, right? He really was a good hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, people respected his opinion on horses. Uh, he also 
you know, he he also was a gentleman of culture. He loved a good opera. He had some crushes. Uh, He even proposed to one. And uh, this is where things started to get real weird for him, apparently. That's right. At the time, one of the most famous opera singers on the planet was Adelaide Kemble. Uh, I'm surprised I haven't heard of her. I, I think I've maybe mentioned on the show before that both of my parents were in the opera. Uh, and my mother is a very interesting character. She's exactly what you would think uh, a retired kind of aged diva might be. She is also quite fond of fine things. Not such a great judge of horses, though, but Adelaide Kemble, absolute ingenue, and he was totally smitten with her. I mean, from what we understand from the research that we've looked at for this story, I think he was like a fan, but he was also wealthy and in the upper class, which maybe there was a little entitlement there, Ben. I'm not sure because he was in love with her and he proposed to her, but it's not like they they, they might have you know, somewhat known each other socially, but uh, it seems very forward for him to have proposed to her. You know, it, it, it checks out because she totally turned him down. And this event or this, um, you know, heartbreak seems to have triggered his tunnel digging, you know, yeah. um, mindset. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. 
Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. He was already not the most talkative guy. And after this opera singer turns him down, he becomes a known eccentric. He is refusing to see people, including medical professionals. The only person who is, quote unquote, allowed to see him is his valet. So his like manservant, basically. He retreats to his home at Welbeck Abbey, and he has two letterboxes outside of his, I guess, his suite, his rooms, you know, and these two letterboxes are his primary means of communication with other people. While this is all happening, his father passes away March 27th, 1854, and William becomes very much non-consensually the fifth Duke of Portland. Becoming Duke, right? You, you enter into this world of privilege, right? You are one of the elite of this society and you have a lot of agency to do things that the average person could not do. And so for William, when he becomes Duke, he gets more, uh, he gets more room socially to be even more reclusive. Mm -hmm. Now he doesn't have to go do stuff. You know, nope. there's so, so many obligations that our fellow ridiculous historians or Max or me or you would have to do that you just don't have to do if you're nobility. Right. So he just stops doing it. He just stops doing it. He, uh, I, I can't recommend highly enough this um, history things article. There's some really great photos of his, uh, his kind of cavernous estate. So I highly recommend checking that one out. But it's true. He, um, he has been spurned by the love of his life. He essentially goes underground in a very, very real way. He uh, takes this estate, this, this family seat, it's sort of in the country, and he begins to undergo massive, massive, massive construction projects. And it was lucky because uh, the previous Duke had been concerned that England was going to see uh, in the future a wood shortage. So he planted these massive forests of oak, uh, and they mm. thankfully were just starting to, you know, come into maturity when William became the Duke himself. So he had just this, this awesome uh, surplus of building materials um, that he was able to use to reinforce these tunnels and, and build all of these additions, and it gets a little bit nuts. And we mm -hmm. don't quite know exactly you know, what the timeline was for some of these projects. But we do know that during the 18 years that he was in charge of this estate, Welbeck Abbey, he oversaw, he didn't do it himself. He basically, right. you know, hired these massive teams of people to dig around 12 miles of tunnels. And, and, and they weren't like deep at beneath least. the earth, at least. They weren't deep beneath the earth. They were really just kind of right under the surface of, of the estate. Um, mm. But yeah, he- They were big though. Exactly. He he even dug these tunnels that were topped with glass that were large enough for fruit trees to grow. Yeah, yeah. And he also dug tunnels that, well, he had tunnels dug due to his delicate health. He had tunnels dug that were wide enough for horses. He still loved animals. And he had 
a hierarchy to his tunnels, like some tunnels were for the working man, and then there were nicer tunnels for the upper class, mm -hmm. like the, the dukes and so on. And he had he creates an underground compound. We're talking about a ballroom mm -hmm. that's more than 158 feet long, an observatory, of course, a billiards hall, because what's the point otherwise, right? Why would you have a tunnel complex without a billiards hall? He also had plans that he didn't quite get to. So he wanted to have this gargantuan kitchen, a riding house and stables all underground, and a personal, this is one of my favorites, a personal roller skating rink, not just for him, but for the staff, because he was he was a good boss in his opinion. Uh, he did have a underground library. He tried to go under, the estate had a lake, right, on the grounds, and he tried to dig under there, but you know, due to any number of problems you can easily imagine, he eventually abandoned that. This was not a dirty place. All the underground rooms were heated. They had gas lighting. This guy hung out there all the time. Like the way that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles hang out in the sewers of New York City, this guy was always under a manhole and he was kicking it. And it was a pretty nice place. Nice tunnels. Oh, my God. So nice. I mean, this really was like the most bespoke, luxurious, like, clubhouse. And, you know, he it seemed like he was surrounded by more horses than he was people. Um, I mean, he did have a staff, but it didn't seem like he was much of an entertainer. He had this massive kitchen that he had designed. He even like he participated in the designs of these things, by the way, as well. He was always sketching designs or at least the kind of like early ideas for designs for various uh, rooms and, and um, creations around this this uh this compound and he wasn't without uh style you know he had his own kind of aesthetic um it, it turns out that every single wall in this underground cavern uh i mean this was, a cavern makes it sound like it's dank and and, and spooky it, it seems like it was pretty bright especially since all the walls were painted pink um and it's not something that really comes up in the history of this dude like he was a massive fan of the color pink there is in this OMG facts article about the introverted Duke who pimped out his house to avoid humans, which also has some excellent pictures. K. Thor Jensen was also unable to find any indication that this was a thing, a running theme, this fondness of, of the color pink. So it's it's a little bit odd, right? But there was like every single room in the underground portion of his estate had this pale rose or like pink color. And like I said before, the tunnels weren't incredibly deep. Some of them even had skylights, right? We talked about some of the glass top tunnels that would allow sun to come in so that the fruit trees could grow underground because obviously without sunlight, they would be toast. But uh, he just wanted to make sure that he had essentially what amounted to like the most expensive privacy fence ever created. He just didn't want to be snooped upon, you know, by any of right. his neighbors. Yeah, yeah, that's... That That's the thing. He's not trying to journey to the center of the earth. This is not for scientific purposes. He just doesn't want to feel like other people are watching him. He also had, you know, earlier I mentioned this kind of hierarchy of tunnels, some for the common folk, some for uh, the fancier folk. He had, in addition to this, his own set of small tunnels that were just for him. And we go through a trap door. The point of this was to keep 
everyone, including his servants, from knowing exactly where he was at any given point in time. So he could make trips to his other estate without anybody knowing. One of the tunnels stretched all the way to the local train station. Mm -hmm. So the Duke may have just popped down his trap door and disappeared. It's strange because there are so many like rumors or anecdotes about this guy. And you have to search kind of carefully for some proven stories. So we know for a fact that we know for a fact that Will liked to ride alone in a specially constructed carriage that was like windows tented kind of style totally. for the time. And the more that people knew this guy wanted to avoid scrutiny, the more they wanted to see him. And so he kind of created his own problem by attempting to solve it, by by being perceived as mysterious and retreating from the public eye. He sort of enticed the public and people wanted to like catch a glimpse of the weird Duke. But anyway, the carriage was made so that you can't see inside of it. And he had spy holes so he could look out <laughs> like all over the carriage. He could look out and see people. It's it's very weird. It's, it's almost it's almost place. like a like a shoebox for your pet frog where you have like holes poked in it or something like that. Odd dude. And people knew that he was an odd dude because like, you know, a lot of the looky loos that were kind of trying to catch a glimpse of him. They were not in his employ necessarily, whereas like the staff at his London estate, they didn't want to be seen when he arrived because they knew that that would like freak him out or that would maybe even put their jobs <laughs> right. in jeopardy. So they would like dart, you know, into darkened corners or, you know, like when they saw him coming, they probably, there was probably like a call of like, he's here, hide! Yeah, like like how Max, when Max joined on the show, you know, his, Max, no offense, but your contract is crazy. We had to sign a thing saying we wouldn't make eye contact with Max. Yeah, it's uh, definitely very strange and awkward at times, but I think we figured it out some. We have. We've navigated, we have. we've navigated these strange waters. We wouldn't have it any other way, Max. We wouldn't have it any other way. But he, um, so let's see, what's next? Um, Harcourt House was his other estate in London. And he uh, started to kind of incorporate some of these weird designs into that estate as well eventually, right? Not exactly the underground kind, right. but certainly the uh, very, very over-the-top privacy measures. Yeah, it's weird because he one of the the things he did at Harcourt House, probably the most extreme example of his eccentricity, was that he created a gigantic screen, a glass screen that was 80 feet high, 200 something feet on each side. He made this screen entirely so that his neighbors could not see into the garden. This was specifically ground glass. So it was a glass wall, but it wasn't transparent. You know what I mean? It was like, yes. think of like frosted glass, right? And this was entirely just to keep his neighbors from knowing what was going on, which again, I argue, just makes it more enticing for people to try to catch a glimpse of this guy. And everybody's, everybody's treating him like that. Tom Waits song. They're like, what's he building in there? You know, the, like, what is he up to? Why is he hiding? There must be a reason. He becomes the butt of a lot of jokes. 
And some people call him the Mad Duke of Portland. MDP. Yep. According to a Warsaw resident quoted on warsawweb.co.uk, TKS, who grew up hearing stories about how weird this dude is. And people tried to make reasons. They like tried to explain where this guy was coming from or what his motivation was. They said, you know, he's probably, he's probably a bit of a Lothario, you know, uh, he's got a bunch of different lovers sneaking through the tunnels. Other people say, no, no, he makes secret trips. Sure. But they're to church, not to dalliances. He's, he's going to pray in peace and you guys got to stop bugging him about it. That's why he went underground. Literally other people are like, no, he's disfigured. He's got a weird face. He's got a face thing going on. And then, you know, he's, he's got to use the tunnels so that you jerks will stop laughing at him. Or maybe he's got a disease and he's contagious. Like people were just throwing stuff out there. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this, I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Yeah, none of this was backed up by literally anything. I do Zero. like the idea that he was having dalliances with God, though. That's that's a fun one for me. That's what I was thinking um, of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it was it wasn't that at all. He was just shy. <laughs> he wasn't even like a monster or anything, right? Like, I mean, all of our all indications, like, I mean, he certainly had to have been a bit of a stern taskmaster if he was commanding these, you know, legions of like workers to dig these crazy tunnels. And he certainly had a vision. But I mean, he really just wanted to be left alone. Uh, we don't really have any indication that he was ever cruel to any of his staff. I think he was just kind of a sad, like heartbroken dude that kind of just didn't want to mix with society. And I mean, I think we all have moments where we can understand that, right? 
Yeah. I mean, have you seen society lately? Can you really blame people for not wanting to be 10 toes down on that concept? I, I get yep. it. I'm just saying, no, I, I, I get it. And, you know, honestly, a lot of people then and probably now, I, I, I think can see the appeal, right, of solitude. But this person is coming from enormous privilege. They can make that desire real because they have the money and the power and the position to do so. And there's nothing wrong with being shy. You know, you don't, again, you, the moral of the story is you don't always have to interact with people. You don't have to feel obligated to. He just took it so much further than the average person could. He, when, when he first tried to kind of occlude himself from society, he tried to close the, what are called the public rights of way across his estate. So a public right of way means, you know, hey, you might not be the Duke who owns, you know, uh, Schroppenham Fartshire on Sandwich or whatever the name of the estate is, but you have the right to cross at certain points because you have to get from point A to point B. He tried to shut that down. He was like, I don't no new friends, as Drake would say. And this is what led him to creating his Warren of Tunnels. Because the other the other members of the ruling class were like, hey, you can't you can't stop people from walking here. And then he responded, you know, by going subterranean. Totally. I mean, it's like any, you know, super wealthy area uh, in, in whatever city. I mean, you don't have the right to pull into someone's driveway. Uh, I mean, maybe you could flip a Yui or something like that, but they could probably still yell at you and rightfully so, but it's not like they're going to be able to close Mulholland drive, you know, in, in Hollywood. Um, that would be a nightmare because it's like one road in one road out. Um, so this totally makes sense. There would be some beef behind that. And it's kind of funny indication of his slight out of touchness that he was so in his own head and just wanted to be alone. He didn't even really think of others. So while he doesn't seem like he was a monster, he probably was a little bit self-involved. Let's just say that. That's just my guess. Yes. But he has a quote uh, as to we have a quote from him from notshistory.org.uk uh, that sort of sums up his attitude about all this. And this is how he describes his precious underground dwellings. Uh, quote, here have I provided for you at enormous expense a clean pathway underground, lighted with gas, too, and you will persist in walking above ground. Uh, that is what he would say to visitors when they came. To his estate. And it's almost like he was doing them a solid, right? Because he was like, you know what? The above ground is for you. Enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy the gardens. Enjoy the lovely woodland scenic views uh, and all of the flowers and all of that. While he, all the while, uh, stayed underground in what likely, you know, I mean, we're talking about gas lamps, Ben. I want to ask your opinion here. Underground like that, I know that when they burn, it burns off the gas, but what if one of them was left on? Wouldn't it be a fire hazard? I could kind of imagine like just a pillar, like backdraft style of flame, just filling these tunnels if there was a, a mishap with some of these gas lamps. Yeah, it goes back to what I was saying earlier regarding the concept of privilege. This guy was able to do this because he wasn't doing a lot of the work, a lot of the maintenance. So there were people monitoring these gas lamps. There was someone continually checking on these things, cleaning the tunnels, making sure that they were in good repair. So 
when he says, here I have provided for you at enormous expense, he probably paid for it, but it's not like he was digging these holes. It's not like he was lighting these lamps. He did get a kick-ass nickname out of it, though, the Invisible Prince. He also, this is something I was wondering for a while. I wondered if he was the type of person to jump out and try to spook people, you know, like in um, Tim and Eric, where there's the spaghetti guy who just jumps out sure. and goes spaghetti. Uh, he he was <laughs> he. I would I propose we cast Tim Heidecker as the Invisible Prince or the Underground Duke because Will liked to jump out and surprise people, right? And he liked to make the environment increasingly off-putting for folks. Uh, he, you know, he was, he was called a misanthrope, but perhaps that's unfair in a way because he primarily just didn't want to have to interact with people. I don't sure. think, I, I don't think not feeling obligated to hang out with everyone all the time makes you a hater of humanity. No, but I do feel like he could be like the patron saint of Xennials, you know, who will do everything in their power to avoid uh, human interaction outside of like the Internet. I think that's why things like food ordering apps are so popular. Like my kid and some of her friends will do absolutely anything they can to avoid having to speak to someone they don't know super well. And I think this is this checks out. This tracks with the Duke here. Um, yeah, it's almost like there's the accounts like I've been kind of indicating, like I, we don't really have accounts of him being cruel to workers, but some of the accounts, like there's there's sort of a divide, right? In, in the way that he's uh, described as treating his workers. Like he definitely did the thing where he liked to jump out and spook them, you know, I, I'm assuming for his own uh, amusement a little bit. It, it's, it's not clear if he was trying to catch them, you know, not working and, and punish them in some way. Uh, it could certainly have been that at times, but it really feels more like you described it, Ben, like the spaghetti kind of vibes. Um, but historians disagree a little bit on whether he was a very forward thinking Duke and that he housed uh, his workers, you know, on his property. He gave them access to what could be considered now like an employer health plan uh, that gave them regular doctor visits and all that. But then there are other, um, also, he fed them, of course, and provided them with all of the amenities they needed to live and also made sure their families were comfortable as well. And also would continue to house the widows of uh, workers who had passed away, whether through, I imagine there had to have been, we don't have stories of this, Ben, but I can't imagine this, all these tunnels were dug without some calamitous cave-in at some point. I'm surprised well, we don't luckily, have. Yeah, luckily they were just under the surface. That's, that's, that's another that's true. big part of it. That's but, a very good uh, point. Also glad to report, as far as we know, there wasn't a specific like widow tunnel. But we have the other accounts, Ben, uh, of of him not of of these things being largely exaggerated uh, and that perhaps these, you know, um, housing for his workers were not all they were cracked up to be. Yeah, there's there's (laughs) there's this image that I can't stop cracking myself up about, which is imagine, like you said, imagine you're working on this estate, you're digging a tunnel. Then this guy pops out. He's like, spaghetti. I'm just mm-hmm. kidding, you guys. Keep keep digging. You you guys are killing it. You know, don't look at me. No one look at me. All right, I'm going back in the tunnel. The thing is, the issues surrounding employment at this time are 
many and varied, not just with this Duke. This Duke in particular had, you know, like he had some good stuff going on in comparison to other employers at the time. Uh, And it's true that he did build a roller skating rink that actually happened for his employees. They all got outfitted with certain stuff. Everybody got a nice suit of clothing and a donkey so they could move across the estate easily. He even, this kind of behavior and these standards earned him the moniker, the worker's friend. But in addition to that, we see a bit of an authoritarian streak, which shouldn't be surprising, right? Because this guy is a member of a monarchical society. His employees eventually go on strike and they say, hey, you're having us dig these great halls that's 10,000 square feet out of solid clay. We're we're doing all of this tunneling for you. We deserve to be treated better and we at least want more money. Uh, so when they go on strike, the Duke tells them, quote, you can strike as long as you like. It does not matter to me if the work is never done. And then like he like he he called their bluff. And eventually, Noel, Max, they started digging again. They were like, okay, he's not kidding. He doesn't care. This guy is unreasonable. We cannot reason with him. And so the Duke can avoid other people, right? But the question is, can he avoid aging? Can he avoid mortality? That's the one stranger he can't run from. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, look, it's not like he seemed to care about having friends or family. Um, I mean, his solitude was really his kind of stock and trade. And there are some accounts of him kind of buddying it up with some of the workers and sharing kind of, you know, talking shop or, or, or sharing gardening secret tricks or whatever, because he was into this stuff. But uh, like we said, you can barricade yourself away from, you know, humanity. But at the end of the day, you are Still human, whether you want to be or not, and humans die. So he began to age, and with aging, that eccentricity can kind of uh, ramp up a little bit. So his construction projects started to get more and more weird and less and less functional. He even had a few natural lakes that existed on the grounds drained and cemented over. Like, I mean, this guy had some undiagnosed mental illness. I'm going to go so far as to say in my armchair psychiatrist position here. It certainly seems like there would be a name for this. And I would want to know, I'd be very interested to to dig a little deeper and find out what that is. I mean, antisocial personality disorder, perhaps agoraphobia, any of this combination of these things. But yeah, when you start like cementing over lakes, you're getting dangerously into like Howard Hughes territory, right? He didn't want Um, the fish to see him. You didn't want the fish to see. No, I'm kidding. No. Uh, no, I mean, who knows? Who knows what, what's what's going on there? Um, he also was uh, very, very close to having the servants' quarters, like, demolished in order to build a glass-lined path to the chapel. So he was somewhat of a religious man. I mean, he wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily taking those secret sojourners to church like some of the townspeople maybe, you know, made up in their minds, but he he did possibly want to have a secret glass, you know, tunnel path to his chapel. But he uh, didn't do yeah. that. He decided not to do that. Yeah, but he did decide to reduce the just the floor space that he was active in in his estate. So even though he had all these tunnels, as he 
got on in age, he started living in just five rooms of this compound. And just like the tunnels, these were all these rooms were painted pink and he had toilets installed in every room because he's like, you know, I've earned my place in the world. I shall never again be in a room where I can't, I don't know, poop if I want to. He was very bothered by that. It was important to him that there be a toilet in each room. He also never left those five rooms as he as he grew older, except to go out on night walks. I'm a fan of night walks. I get you. So when John was on these night walks, he would have a servant walk exactly 40 yards in front of him holding a lantern so he could kind of see where he was going. And when he absolutely had to go outside during the day, he wore, like, it was like the sun would burn him or something. You know, maybe he was a vampire, Noel. Maybe he was a vampire. He had two big coats, like overcoats, and they would wear a tall hat, and he would hide behind an umbrella if people tried to talk to him. That is totally. a true story. Yeah, no, it's very true. Uh, he was definitely a spooky dude. No question about it. And he did pass away on December 6th of 1879. He was 79 years old. And just about six months before his death, he uh, he almost it's almost as though he sensed what was coming because he was able to take one of those, one of his famous carriage rides through those tunnels on his way to his other estate where he passed away, the Harcourt house. Kind of interesting that he didn't die in one of those five rooms. I guess he, he really did seem like he kind of knew what was coming. Interestingly enough, he was uh, immortalized in a character that I think many of us will be familiar with. Um, Mr. Badger from The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, who is kind of an eccentric underground dweller himself who rules over his kingdom, which is known as the Wild Wood, from his underground, you know, kind of hidey hole, uh, sort of a lair. And he is a very important character in in that book, along with Mr. Toad and mm-hmm. Mole. Uh, and there's a there's a very nice quote um, that we found on an Atlas Obscura article that kind of is a, it's clear that Graham definitely was aware of this guy's legacy. He says, who can tell, said the badger. People come, they stay for a while, they flourish, they build and they go, but we remain There were badgers here, I've been told, long before that same city ever came to be. And now there are badgers here again. We are an enduring lot, and we may move out for a time, but we wait, and we are patient, and back we come, and so it will ever be. Today you can visit Welbeck Abbey. It is open for tours, but you won't be able to see the underground chambers. A lot of them have not been maintained, so... They're probably not safe to enter, uh, sort of like a cavern system where you can only go to some parts of the caves, which is interesting because as K. Thor Johnson points out, John probably would have been down with this. It would have given him some sort of satisfaction, maybe. He would have felt good knowing that people can't go explore his tunnels today. And with that, his story ends, but his legacy remains. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. What's the weirdest thing you've done to avoid hanging out with people? Love to hear from you. Uh, Let us know. uh, Let your fellow ridiculous historians know on our Facebook page. 
ridiculous historians. And uh, I, I can ask, Max, you've been kind of quiet for this one. Uh, what's what's the weirdest thing you've done to avoid people? Oh, man, weirdest thing I've done to avoid people. That is, um, that's a tricky question. I generally like to hide at work where I'll be like, oh, I have this really important thing I have to do at work. I, I, I can't come hang out. And then I'm like, sitting here renaming files. I'll do that a lot. <laughs> so you got to actually do the thing or something, some semblance of the thing you said. Otherwise, you, you'd be a liar. Mm-hmm. I appreciate exactly. I appreciate your commitment to the bit, Max. I just started telling people, folks who listen to stuff they don't want you to know will have maybe heard the moment we discovered this. But I just started telling people I have become strange. And if you say it with a straight face, usually people just vibe with it. It's a process, that's for sure. Um, but this is this story has been a bit of a process too, and guys. There's a whole there's there's details we couldn't even fit into the story. Uh, there there was a, a very weird um, lawsuit in 1907 where a man named George Halambi Druce claimed that our boy John had actually faked his own death. Um, that might be a story for another day, or even a story for our other show stuff. They don't want you to know. Turns out it was largely <laughs> completely bogus, uh, but very very interesting, and that's really what brought him uh, in his whole story back into the zeitgeist and that's what uh, caused Kenneth Graham to become a fan and, and write him into that uh, that book Wind in the Willows um, but this has been a fantastic story and uh, we hope that you've enjoyed it I certainly have yes thanks as always to our number one badger uh, Max Williams thanks to our number two badger Alex Williams who composed this track that's right Max tell, tell your brother he's number two now and uh, of course, he's of always course. been number two. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's is that technically true? That is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so also thanks to uh, Gabe Luzier, our research associate. That's right. Thanks to Jonathan Strickland, the Quister. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Eve's Jeffcoat. Uh, uh, she's on vacation, so we'll call her here in spirit, too. And thanks to you, Ben. Um, this, this, was a, this was a fun one. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 